people invariably, and I've been in four, five, six of these situations over the last couple of decades, follow you know, good ideas, strongly articulated, where they have some personal benefit. And those that don't want to come along do fall by the wayside, usually of their own volition. Hello, and welcome to the Leader Insights series, the platform designed to uncover the secrets to career success and gain real insight from senior figures across the food and drink industry. I'm Jonathan O'Hagan, and my special guest today is John Weaver. Now, I'm really pleased to have John on the show today. I've had the pleasure of knowing John for a while now. And aside from him being one of the nicest people I know, quite simply, he's a world-class CEO. As a quick introduction, John was COO for Petty Woods & Co, which he successfully sold as part of an MBO after doubling revenue. Subsequently, he had similar success as CEO with The Tree of Life, the UK's largest distributor of natural and healthy products. And here, John was attributed with tripling revenue before becoming a non-executive for them in 2019. In recent times, John's developed a non-exec portfolio career, working with some great brands and startups, sometimes investing, sometimes advising. So whether it's mergers and acquisitions, business strategy and planning, or business turnaround, John is your man. Oh, and did I mention he speaks five languages? Now, in this particular episode, I'll be covering all usual topics. However, I'm also interested to hear how he's gone about developing a successful non-exec career. I'll also try and find the time to touch upon a personal passion of his, executive coaching. John, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks very much, John. I'm absolutely delighted to be with you. Yeah, good to see you, John. First things first, can we speak in English, John? My Russian's not up to scratch these days. <laughs> yes, of course we <laughs> Good, good for you. Well, listen, John, it's a pleasure to spend some time with you. There's so much I want to talk to you about. Um, I guess if we start at the beginning, I'd love to hear how you got into the food and drink industry. What was the decision-making process? What pulled you in and, and why? Um, in two words, I think it was Ernest Hemingway who got me interested in in food. I was an undergrad student and caught in the library reading his collected works one day uh, when I came across the description of a meal that he had, a picnic that he had, um, beers laid in a mountain stream and fresh trout caught and then barbecued somewhere in Spain. And I was absolutely uh, drawn into this world of, of food, and this was this was at a time in my life when supermarkets were, I suppose, bringing in variety. Ethnic food was just starting to be stocked on supermarket shelves. The choice was was proliferating. So this was a time when advertising was starting to enter its real heyday, and was extremely articulate. So. Being a languages student, this confluence of a real interest in, in food and drink and provenance and the proliferation of choice and being part of the commercialization of this, of this choice was fascinating and I was drawn into it. It seemed to be a really relevant place for an art student to be. Mm-hmm. And the first sort of half of your career, John, um, was in marketing, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I started out um, in business development in Beiersdorf, Nivea, and then I moved to Danon when I was um, where I was in sales and marketing for quite a few years. Um, and I'll, I'll probably come on to this a little bit later. But um, 
I was a, I was a Brit abroad. I was in Munich working for a French company, and I found it really fascinating. I suppose the other thing that I'd also mention is that this this was a, a very glamorous world. Your career with international companies could take you anywhere in the world. And indeed, it has for me. It's taken me from, I suppose, starting out in, in Hamburg and Munich and Berlin uh, to Mexico, to both coasts of the United States, to the Far East, into China, all the way through Scandinavia and to Russia. And that was extremely exciting at this stage of life. Borders were dropping in the EU, ease of travel was also present, and, and therefore you could move away from what was a relatively confining world in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Must have been a fascinating time for you, John. And one, one thing I wanted to ask you as well, with your language skills that I mentioned, how how pivotal, how useful has that been? Because I suppose when I was younger, there was a lot of talk about perhaps getting languages from the Far East, Mandarin, for example, because that's where the future was. But your personal experience of having some some of these language capabilities that you've got, how useful has that been for you in your own career? How often have you needed to call upon these different languages? My, my postgraduate qualifications were um, in German, in French and in English. So to get that qualification, which was a trilingual MBA, uh, I needed the language skills. And I chose to start working in, in Germany for a French company. And so I would do my day-to-day work in German and do my training in French. So English was certainly for the first three years of my career, more or less completely unused. Wow. Wow. So in many ways, John, it was a it was a great gateway, if I'm hearing correctly, to opening up the world for you in a career sense. You know, you were given these opportunities to work for some fantastic organizations, Denon, Coca-Cola, so on and so on. But your language skills really enabled you to take opportunities in different parts of the world. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. As I've described. And, you know, if you speak another language uh, rather than speaking English to uh, to the inhabitants of a foreign country, you're, you're living in in their lives. You're living your own life abroad, and it's a very different mm. thing to living in a different European country. A great privilege. Yeah, yeah. No, a, a valuable insight there, John. And I think certainly it's on my to do list to expand my uh, language capabilities for sure. So looking at your career, John, it's been hugely successful. As I mentioned in the intro there, you've had um, real highs, which I'll come on to. What do you attribute your success to, John? What are the traits, what are the attributes that you believe you hold that have kept you successful right through your career? The, the common thread or threads are a desire to, to be slightly different, to differentiate the offer that you have in a a relevant sector of the market that's you know of interest to you and and in growth and as i mentioned uh, earlier on you know being the the only brit who won a, an assessment center with 2000 applicants you know it would have helped that i stood out as being the only englishman the only english speaker working in you know munich in germany um, for a french uh, dominated company at the time the the style was still very, very French. That gave me some standout. I think that's the first thing. I think the, the second thing is uh, something I've always had, and that is, um, you know, once I get the bit between my teeth and I'm determined to do something, 
I'm pretty unrelenting. I have that innate belief that I'm that I'm going to get there. Now, whether that's um, you know in, in a career or going on a very long run, you know, I have I have that inner drive, that sort of flint that sets me off, uh, mm. and I sometimes describe it as you know being able to see an opportunity like like a, a gap in a, a game of rugby, and you're just going to go for it. Uh, and having that determination and the excitement to go for it. And I think the you know, another perhaps differentiating factor is that I you know, grew up in the country working on farms and working on building sites. And through that, have a, an ability to relate to, to people, whatever they do, you know, whether in, they're in the boardrooms of PLCs or you know, whether they're laboring manually and certainly leading businesses it helps if you can genuinely relate to them yeah i think that's a really good point actually john being relatable it's uh it's it's not an easy thing to do when you're operating with different people who come from different walks of life but i suspect the journey you've been on through your career has been really helpful for that dealing with different people in different parts of the world um but yeah, some really interesting things you said there, you know, desire to be different. That's a real common theme I'm picking up through some of these podcasts I've been doing with really inspirational leaders. They're not afraid to be different and I suppose not necessarily be part of the crowd, but to try and do something different. So that definitely echoes your comments there. Determination, belief. Yeah, these are all really interesting things, aren't they, that I'm hearing a lot. There's a lot of consistency here with good leaders, John, for sure. So moving on to leadership, John, I've known you for a while. You've been at the top of some great businesses and dealing with you personally, if I may say, John, you're an incredibly personal guy. Uh, You've afforded me a lot of time during the time we've known each other. What is it that makes you a good leader? And And you are a good leader, John. I know you're a very humble guy, but you are a good leader. What makes good leadership, in your opinion? What does good leadership look like? And has it changed this year with everything that's gone on around COVID? Well, I'm, I'm flattered you say that. Um, I think leadership is situational. It varies from you know, the requirements that present themselves. And one has to be able to change gear to, to sort of suit the, the circumstances. You know, from a, a military or from an academic point of view, there's a lot that's been written about how to be a good leader. And you know whether your leaders are born or uh, or made, you know it's it's probably it's probably some and some. But I, I do think if you need to lead, because you don't need to lead um, all of the time, and we'll, we'll come on to you know team maybe a little bit later on. But if you are going to lead, if something does need leading, then it needs direction in a particular direction to a, a particular destination and. I used to call it a you know six-figure grid reference. So I think having clarity on what it is that you want to achieve, where you're going, mm-hmm. uh, and to have that conviction with a degree of comprehension that is that is persuasive, is is a pretty good starting point. And how you get people to that destination uses a variety of, of different styles. You know, the, the old-fashioned approach, I think, was pretty directive. I don't think that one can always get away with that. Uh, and so being you know, consensual, affiliative, and using different leadership uh, styles, you know, being, uh, and I spent a great deal of time doing this with, with my last team, being a, a coach, 
as I think we'll come on to. Absolutely, yeah. I think that can be that can be very effective. And I think also, um, if you don't know, say, I don't know, I have no view. Being democratic, I found myself often saying, listen, I have no view on this, and so I'd like to debate it to form a view. I think that's um, that, that's um, really the first point I'd make about leadership is that it is it's situational, and to be able to use different styles and to be honest with everybody about it uh, rather than trying to use somebody else's playbook. I don't know that emulation is a good quality uh, as a leader. It doesn't seem genuine to me. Yeah. I, yeah, just to, to jump in there, John, I completely agree. I think there's an element of being genuine, which you, you can't copy that, can you? You can't copy that. But to your point, leadership being situational, it's a really, really valid point. There's not a one-size-fits-all, is there? People respond in different ways, respond to different methods. And, and I, I guess ultimately, as a good leader, you've got to learn to tune in to how you're going to be able to inspire, motivate people. Uh, I think that's essentially what you're, you're saying. The clarity piece, yeah, again, it's, it's people have got to know where they're going, haven't they, John, really? There's got to be that absolute crystal communication, clarity over where we're going, why we're doing it. I think that's a really valid point. Conviction as well, as you mentioned, that's it's quite alluring, isn't it? You know, when you've got a leader who is inspiring, motivational, because they've got conviction in their actions, you can pull people along with you rather than have to <laughs> push them along to, uh, to to word it that way. Honesty. Yeah, I like that point, John. People respond, don't they, to a, an element of vulnerability. N- not one person is going to know everything, you know. Uh, I don't know if you subscribe to this, but it's about surrounding yourself with really capable, talented people where you can figure out the answers together. You're not always going to have the right answer. John, I think you've picked out, you know, two of the key things of of leadership that if I had to really focus on two key areas, you use the phrase tune in. I use the the word listen. And why is this area key? I'm a very strong believer in the fact that whatever aim you have set yourself, uh, whatever business you're running, wherever you are, it's going to be pretty tricky as things progress to do everything by yourself. And you are going to need people around you, as you pointed out. Now, you really need to be able to listen in, tune in to what they're capable of. And that requires being quiet. That's difficult if you're used to being very proactive and visionary. But actually listening to what people are telling you and aligning that with what it is that you want to do, really active listening, I think, is going to enable you maybe to achieve the aim uh, along different routes, using different route maps than perhaps the ones that you as the leader had intended to use. But you can't be everywhere and you can't do everything and you're going to have to do it with the people that you've appointed around you, or indeed that are already in situ and have the experience to know how to move the whole machine forward with with purpose. So I think tuning in, listening in is, you know, thing one that I would emphasize. The secondary you pointed out uh, was was that of honesty or or integrity. And um, in essence, your integrity is, is the currency with which you 
build trust. And as we all know, not everything goes well in the corporate world. You know, sometimes there's very significant failure or hardship or challenge. And your team will be looking to act in you know, the best interest for them personally, but also for the corporation and not just in your best interest. And occasionally you do see in business life that those that haven't built the trust uh, are unable to take people with them. And the, the third point I'd make, John, is that um, uh, an often forgotten and I've really struggled with, found it personally quite hard to do, is, is to show genuine appreciation, to genuinely be able to praise people without it sounding uh, impersonal or uh, by rote. Mm-hmm. But if one can actually play back to people what it is that they have added to a situation or what they have achieved in helping you know, a business or a situation improve, that is extremely powerful for them. That is also a very powerful currency to have in your, in your portfolio. Yeah, that's a really good point, John. I think it comes back to being authentic, doesn't it, really? Being authentic around showing your appreciation, building those bonds with people. And as we know, a motivated employee is is everything really um if you can tune in to what makes them tick what motivates them and it's it's not always money for example it's not always earning big bonuses um you know it's sometimes the small little things isn't it the the little signs of appreciation um and and it comes in different formats doesn't it um one thing i did want to touch upon john i know it's a personal passion of yours but it's um it's coaching you correct me if i'm wrong you're a certified business coach aren't you through the ICF the International Coaching Federation which is kind of the gold standard in coaching I believe is that right yes that that's right the International Coach Federation is the world's only international uh, organization and the qualifications are recognized worldwide as as you mentioned so seven years ago I qualified as um a personal um, business coach and then did a further qualification as a team coach, which I've found absolutely fascinating. Mm. And, and and is this because you it's a personal passion of yours or have you found it a useful part of your armory as a business leader to, you know, drive business forward faster? It's It was very much a case of a physician healed myself when my coach retired. So I started coaching or being coached as a client 20 years ago. And always found that when I went to see my coach that he would unlock those things that I was battling with quite often through you know repetitive patterns of behavior uh, that weren't helping me move on sometimes one has behaviors that are helping you gain traction sometimes one has behaviors that are helping you get stuck every single time and I found that he would unlock those he uh, retired uh, to South Africa and I found there was a real gap. So I thought, well, I'd better find out how to, how to heal myself. Yeah, I think fascinating. And how much of an advocate are you, John, around someone having a, a mentor, a career coach at whatever stage in their career? It sounds like that's been helpful for you, but how much are you a fan of that? And would you recommend it for everyone? I think I'm a fan of coaching more than I am of mentoring. I make a distinction between non-executive directing, mentoring, and coaching with a line between the the two former 
you know, non-exec and uh, mentoring and coaching, being that of listening uh, and listening and telling. So a coach listens. I think the former two tell. And the danger with the former two is that one can end up with a projection of one's own experiences onto the client without that necessarily being what is relevant to the client. Whereas a, a coach uh, really creates an environment in which uh, a client can develop their thoughts. And I, I call it, um, after Nancy Klein's book, Time to Think, you know, not often in a busy world and in busy lives do we have time to really develop our thoughts around those things that we want to achieve but aren't quite getting there. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting point. The space and freedom to figure out things like that is really important. Just moving on, John, to issues, burning issues, challenges. What do you see? And, and we can talk about the obvious, obviously, this year. But what do you see as the the big challenge the industry is facing? What What are the challenges that's forefront of your mind right now? I think um, the industry, by which we mean the fast-moving consumer goods industry and, and society as a whole, is is uh, certainly in the developed world, facing peak stuff, running out of areas to, to grow net. We've become, as a result of uh, growth, we've become a wasteful society, buying things that we stick in landfill fairly swiftly afterwards. And uh, as a result, there is a, there's a burden on society that is further complicated by the very strong polarization or bifurcation, as it's often called, in, in people's wealth, not only you know, between the developed and undeveloped world, but also in the country that we live in. So the, some of the rich are getting much richer, and some of the poor, particularly in this crisis, uh, will be impoverished yet further. Mm, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a division, isn't there, probably more so than ever. Um, and, and in terms of people listening, John, who are potentially at, at any stage in their career, what advice can we try and offer? Um, you've had a really successful career yourself, and I, I do want to come on to your non-exec career in just a moment, but what pearls of wisdom can I get from you, John, in terms of career advice for, for, for people to, to try and adapt into their own careers? A good starting point is to work out what makes you tick. I think one can have idols and people to emulate, but you're at work a long time and working out what really aligns, attunes to what you want to do with your life is important. And then find any opportunity to get near it and start at the bottom and get as much experience as you possibly can. Might be in different departments or areas or geographies but you know, in my world, for instance, uh, we're in the, the distribution and warehousing game. You, you might wish to you know, start in the warehouse, start on a truck, you know, drive around the country, understand what it's like to deliver pallets of goods. Uh, then you have that perspective on things. You know what you're talking about. Otherwise, I think the risk is run that you, you enter the ivory tower, the ground floor, and you make your way up uh, to the C-suite over time without ever really having experienced what it's like. And I, I do think being able to walk in other people's shoes, you know, put yourself in other people's shoes, helps you interrelate better, understand what is motivating other people personally and financially, 
and that's always helped me move on and, and be successful. I think that's a really good point, John. I mean, I'm a big fan of people experiencing different areas. So if we take the principle of some of the best sales directors I know, John, have been in marketing for a period and vice versa. Some fantastic marketeers have been in sales. And I think it's really important to build your career around these building blocks. To your point, you don't suddenly want to find yourself in a boardroom where perhaps you've been in a very narrow discipline. Maybe you've only just done sales or only operations or, you know, is that going to make you the most rounded MD, CEO, it's it's good food for thought, for sure. In terms of, if I can touch upon this, John, um, you've developed a really good non-exec career, uh, which we've talked about in, in the past. Would you just share with us a little bit about how you went about doing that? What are the keys for people listening that maybe are at that stage where they want to develop a portfolio career, advisory investment based yeah any tips any thoughts how did you go about it and what would you recommend if people want to make that transition into more of a portfolio career such as yours i think having a you know a decent track record that you can articulate as being relevant to an opportunity uh, is not a bad starting point I've, I've certainly found that the the entrance occasionally into these opportunities that i've been able to make has been via coaching having a different sort of conversation with people a no pressure, non-directive, almost what do you think conversation about about opportunities is is quite often more powerful than I'm going to come in and tell you how to run your business and you're going to pay me for the pleasure of it. So I think that um, if you have the you know the, the track record, you know, coaching as you know is something that I'm a firm supporter of and the, the listening type of coaching. That's not a bad starting point. But above all, um, I've been surprised by what sort of opportunities that I've been asked to, to look at. They've ranged from infrastructure projects in the developing world, so Southeast Africa, Northeast area of South America, through to fintech, uh, and then more conventionally in the consumer goods space. It's been a surprise to me. I've turned nothing down. I've kept an open mind. And one can apply the, the disciplines of this fast-moving consumer goods environment to perhaps slower-moving, capital-intensive areas where one could advise or indeed coach. Mm. I think, keep it, to your point, keeping an open mind, John, would you agree that's probably quite crucial as well, you know? There's no conversation that is really wasted as long as you go in with an exploratory mindset. Has that stood you in, in good stead? Because I do imagine you probably get approached quite frequently for different opportunities, some good, some bad. But yeah, is keeping an open mind a, a key to uh, to finding these really special opportunities? The picture I have in my mind is that uh, you know, with each conversation, with each opportunity, um, you chisel away at uh, whatever it is that you're going to create. And who knows what that's going to look like. Um, this is certainly as a, a new phase of one's career, being in that privileged position to see where life takes you, as long as one isn't purely persuaded that money is the answer to everything and is, is very keen to continue to use one's brain and perhaps, you know, perhaps to learn, then I think having an open mind and seeing where it takes you and then to either accept or not accept according to some, some criteria, that's a fascinating way to, to live one's life, having perhaps, you know, for quite a few decades, had a very narrow path 
people on which to to be walking. Yeah, yeah. So, John, looking at your career, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would describe you as an agent of change. You know, you're a business turnaround specialist. You've taken businesses, you've made them hugely successful. And and along the way, that obviously creates change. Um, What are the common hurdles you typically have to overcome as a good leader to achieve this change and be successful in this manner? Scepticism, I think, and and non-belief. People are uncomfortable with, with change and it requires the determination I've spoken about and, and the ability to, to persuade people, to bring them along with you, with logic, with emotion, to get them aligned and motivated behind the change that you want to make. And generally that works. And people invariably, I've found, follow you know, good ideas, strongly articulated, where they have some personal benefit. And those that don't want to come along do fall by the wayside, usually of their own volition. So invariably, and I've been in four, five, six of these situations over the last couple of decades, um, people do follow you know, strong ideas, clearly articulated. Mm, no, interesting. And, and just finally, John, I don't want you to reveal too many sort of inside tricks, but you're an investor. Um, I'd be fascinated if you could share a little bit of your thought process behind essentially what does a good investment look like? You know, I know we've spoken about it personally in the past, but for you, what does a good investment look like? What are the criteria you tend to look for as an investor? I think the people in the plan and the one that I don't look for and I I quite often see these days of overfunding, you know, we're in an overfunded environment one that I don't look for is people talking about the exit before they've made an entrance into their chosen market. Mm. Some people you can tell have, you know, the determination near that flint I was talking about earlier on, and they are able to articulate clearly and concisely quickly what it is they want to do and why that is relevant, why there are, no barriers to entry for others to be doing that and how their business plan business plan numbers might stack up. So I think, you know, it really is, once again, it's about the people and it's not about comparing yourself to an exit that somebody did two, three years ago because life moves on more quickly than that. Mm, yeah, no, interesting. John, that's brilliant. I think there's some great stuff in there that we've talked about for people at all levels, really, whether you're a leader, whether you're starting your career, there's some really useful stuff in there. So thank you so much. Um, Listen, let's keep in touch. Um, I think we have always said we need to get on the golf course at some point. So I'm going to hold you to that. And thanks once again for all your time. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you found this episode valuable. Now, whether you're a person interested in developing your own career to the next level, or perhaps you're a business leader who genuinely believes in the importance of hiring the very best people in the very best way, then you can always get in touch with me via the email links in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episode as it's released. Until next time, take care.